0: Welcome to Sundays on the East End. This is Bridget Leroy. And
1: this is Alex Sokolow.
0: And uh, it's a, a lazy January day. Almost balmy. Almost balmy. Kind of scary. You're balmy.
1: I'm neutron balmy. <laughs> How are you, Bridget? Happy New Year. Did you have a nice
0: holiday? I guess this was the first Christmas where we really had a, I mean, holiday season, because you know, we're, we're all members of the same tribe, but we celebrate all the holidays and uh, to just be able to just kind of sit and and just be.
1: Yeah, no, I, this is this was a very interesting kind of fitting to the end of 2020 and that uh, expectations are like uh, the, the, the enemy of 2020 thinking.
0: But you know what you just said is actually really good uh, life advice because you know what they say, an, an expectation is a down payment on a resentment. If you expect something too much, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try. But I think that when we expect people to be a certain way, when we expect life to be a certain way, um, you're really setting yourself up for major disappointment.
1: And and now you know, uh, let's let's move on a little bit to uh, to today's guest or exalted yeah. guest, a true uh, kind of local product, almost like the, the the vegetables that come out of the ground.
0: Hashtag localism. Hashtag
1: food is bond. Uh, exactly. All right. Uh, has been uh, kind of working in in the chemistry and the science and the art of of, of food um, since yeah. he was a wee lad, and uh, and but also is a is a James Beard, uh, I, I guess nominated or or a chef recognized. Uh, recognize, you, uh, and, uh, just find out about his journey. He's a local guy raising a family out here now and has kind of chef and, and, uh, executive chef at, 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 various, um, notable restaurants out on the East end and, and is now kind of, uh, you know, cooking, uh, privately. So, uh, a lot of cool things to kind of talk
0: uh, about. I mean, the Blutstein name is legend in Amagansett. Everybody knows his parents, his brother. Uh, I remember Jeremy, I think when you were, he was like working at um, maybe dishwashing at, at Estia, like, I don't know, in the 90s or something like that. I mean, really, really, he's he's come up through local chef legends here and has form- formulated his own brand so welcome jeremy welcome to sundays on the east end
2: hey how are you thanks for having me um I, l- legend may be a little bit skewed um just watching an Estia <laughs> was not was not part of my my reign of terror here on the uh, on the east end um although i did uh put down the better part of um my body weight in pancakes at the collins uh collins um lunch counter in amagansett my dad's office being next door but yeah I've been working in restaurants out here since I was, you know, since I was a kid, um, back at the farmhouse, my first tenure. Oh, the farmhouse.
0: I used to drink seriously there.
2: I think a lot of people did. Um, I think Michael Gluckman is still running that same special of half-priced watermelon martinis somewhere.
0: <laughs> Wait, if it yeah. wasn't Estia, who was it? Was Tim working at Estia? I don't know. Or was he just hanging out there all the
2: time? I think my dad's office being next door. Um, kind of led us to it being our kind of clubhouse as a kid um, and Colin being the gracious host that he is and, and was and always will be um, kind of just uh, allowed us to be uh, the kids that we were. Um, it's really kind of my my friendship with Colin um, runs very deep and is very special to me um, and it's just he's known me three quarters of my life. Um, he's kind of watched me go through the, the, the trials and tribulations of, of working in this industry and kind of coming out um, on the other side, in a positive light, and it's uh, it's it's been real for sure.
0: So, what got you into your your passion with food? What where is that based?
2: You know, I, I got a I got my first job in a restaurant, and I uh, I just I just loved it. I loved everything about it. I loved all the good things about it. I loved all the bad things about it. Um, I appreciated uh, the place of which um, we live. Uh, because of it, um, you know, I've known Alex Balsam uh, since we are little, little Hebrew uh, homies back in, uh, in Jewish uh, Sunday school, um, Ta- all, like Shabbat. four of us
0: taught Shabbat
2: yeah. Yeah. at, at the Jewish <laughs> well, that- center. About, about all four of us that were were, were in that class. Um, and Alex always had a profound uh, love for farming. You know, Cliff Foster farming all the land that Alex now farms now on Town Lane. And, and Alex's parents always had these, like, kind of very professional uh, but amateur uh, gardens on their property, which Alex, uh, you know, that's where we grew up, you know, throwing around a baseball and all that other kind of good stuff. And so kind of, you know, figuring out not only where our food came from, but, you know, how it was making its way into restaurants was kind of the easy evolution for both of us. Um, you know, I've, I've cooked professionally, uh, out here and in New York city, um, the New York city being the stage that I feel everybody kind of needs to either prove to themselves or anyone else that they can kind of hack it. And, and, uh, I've done that. Uh,
1: and, and let me ask you a question. that's all right. and, and, when you When you rise up through a kitchen right there's all these stations in the preparation i I also worked in some of the restaurants out here as a kid uh I was a dishwasher at the laundry. The work is kind of tedious, and you see all the cool stuff kind of happening, but you never really see the 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 fun of it. I did not get that uh the 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 fire lit um when you're coming up though is it when did when did you make the move from like working in the kitchen to like food prep. And when you made that move, when did you make the move to then being able to kind of design
2: your own way of prepping food? I think that there's a like masochistic side to, to like being a kid and jumping in a dish pit, I was having the time of my life to this day. If a dishwasher walks out, I, it's a very, it's a, or, or doesn't show up for work or, or something happens. I jump in the dish pit and I have so much fun. <laughs> um, it's, I
0: hate, I, to this day, I hate washing dishes.
2: You know, it's, it's just part of the restaurant business. And I think that some of us just love every aspect of it. We love, we love the fact that, you know, you go in with a solid plan and then you show up for work and everything goes sideways and you have to figure out a way to, to make things happen and, and to, to evolve and to adapt and all of that. And I think that, um, being a restaurant person and having a new child in the house is like makes it that much easier because you just understand that everything that you've planned to do with that kid that day is going to go completely sideways and you just got to figure it out i mean literally you're in the yeah uh you know and so, so it is it is part of it is part of it but as far as working in restaurants i mean i worked front of house and back of house um equally I think that I finally, you know, the the front of house aspect for me, um, I like the guest interaction, um, I like the the steps of service, uh, I really enjoy wine service and whatnot. Um, but the I was always drawn back in the, into the kitchen, and it really just kind of pulled my focus into it. And I think you kind of you kind of at some point in your life, you things start to click into perspective, and you kind of know what you want to do. And I knew that I wanted to cook, and I just knew that there was a lot of rules and obstacles and all of these things that I had to kind of climb over and and, and work through to get to the point to where I am. And um, maybe I did it unconventionally and, and kind of against the grain. Well, how, well, how, how did you do it?
1: I mean, it's like, is it the conventional thing to go to a culinary institute or is the conventional- go
2: to culinary school. I went to um, the Art Institute in New York, which at the time was the New York restaurant school. Um, that was more of a, uh, that was more to open doors um, that I couldn't really get past. Uh, it was early two thousands, and 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 everybody wanted to be this like celebrity chef who got paid and was on television. And I had absolutely no desire for any of that. I just wanted to go in and, however ridiculous it sounds, work for forty thousand dollars a year at hundred hours a week and get my ass handed to me. I mean, that's what I wanted to do.
0: <laughs> You're such <And> a masochist. <laughs> I,
2: I, I, I wanted yeah. I wanted I I wanted to I wanted to just be a sponge and just go into whatever kitchen it was and whomever was at the helm and learn as much as I possibly could. Um, and then take what I'd learned from there and, and, you know, develop it into something that was my own. And there was a lot of trial and error and there was a lot of, there was a lot of pink slips and lockers and there was a lot of, you know, F bombs dropped on the way in and on the way out. And, you know, you, you, you grow past that, that, anger and that, and that, and that, you know, just reckless behavior as a young guy. And then you, and then you realize that, you know, if you, if you dial it in and you, and you figure it out that there's a place for you in this industry and this industry, however hostile it may be when you walk in the door is not once you get past it. It's just, it's just a really special community of a really bunch of really special people that really do awesome things. I mean, what, what these restaurateurs and cooks and chefs and, and, and whatnot are doing right now is nothing short of heroic. I mean, the fight that they're putting up against odds that are so stacked against them during this pandemic is just incredible. And you know what? They're still having fun doing it. You know, maybe not everybody's looking past their nose and looking too far into the future to what it holds, but you know, th- these people are family. Restaurant people are family. They always will be. You know who they are in a room before you even talk to them.
0: Well, I wanna come back and talk about that. We're gonna, uh, we're talking with Jeremy Blitstein, a local, I know you don't like the word legend cause you're so modest, but uh, chef, you were chef de cuisine at many restaurants around here, executive chef, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, and we're gonna come back and talk about um, now and and what's been going on in the last year or so in the restaurant business and, uh, we're going to take a little break first so you're listening to sundays on the east end this is bridget Leroy
1: and alex socklow
0: and we're talking with jeremy blitzstein here on FM, long islands only npr station you can also stream us online at wliwfm.org and we'll be right back after this <music>
2: This is John Landis, your host for the Jam Session Radio Hour on 88.3 WLIW-FM, Sunday nights at 8, bringing you the best in local live jazz, all recorded live right here at some great venues on the east end of Long Island. And please stay tuned to 88.3 WLIW-FM, also heard on WLIW.org slash radio, Long Island's only NPR station.
0: back Sunday's on the East End um, we're talking with Jeremy Blitzstein and we were talking about a you know kind of coming up with a voice of your own like a, you know you you managed to navigate a lot of the um, it sounds like a lot of the ego driven stuff very early on that you really you seem to just kind of want to absorb everything you called yourself a sponge when what was the first thing that you really put your mark on the first dish that, that you felt was like an original, Creation of yours. I
2: I think the first the first time that you kind of um, put together a dish uh, and maybe present it to someone who is um, your chef or your chef de cuisine before your management, and that dish is you've you've presented this dish and it's yours. But the reality is is that the dish is the restaurant's right, and the you know the the house of which you live in is 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 where you produce your. Y- your day to day art, so to speak, right? Um, so, you know, from a for, for a specific dish, I, I don't really know. I think that you know, I, from a specific style, I think I kind of found the um, the importance and the magic of of what the East End kind of had to offer at an early age, but didn't really know how to make it transpire or or compose it onto a, onto a plate, right? Because that's our that's our medium, right? And that's uh, so you know, I think that by getting Getting to a point where, you know, um, you're just using um, the palette that the East End has to offer um, that changes weekly and it's year round. Um, so for all of you who bastardize the term farm to table, um, go to a farm, meet a farmer, go sit at their table, then figure out what they're eating, then figure out how to cook it. Um you know, you have all this opportunity out here between the local farms and and the baymen and the commercial fishermen and and everybody else who's just doing some crazy things in a place where people are too busy worrying about what shoes Kanye are, is wearing at, at some movie you know premiere in town. Um, you know, you really kind of get this 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 relationship that's not just a a you know a business purveyor slash chef relationship. You have these people are your friends, and when they call you and they say, "Hey, dude, you know I've got." whatever 200 pounds of Napa cabbage sitting in the field, that's going to hell and it's just not going to move because we're just not going to move it. Um, What do you think? And you go, well, I mean, I guess I can make kimchi for the next two months. And so you, you know, you help them out and, and, and they help you out. And, and so, you know, they kind of provide you with the spark of, 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 you know, the, idea of a dish and, and, and you kind of, you know, take over and and make it happen. And I think that, you know, sustainability is the most important part of our profession.
0: You mentioned kimchi, which is a a perfect uh, segue to discuss your kind of side hustle there on kimchi juice with Jason.
2: My, my, my long, my long lost love affair with uh, Mr. Jason, the latka king wiener. You know, I think that. one of the owners of Almond. I think that uh, I think I think that you know we both were kind of going down that fermentation rabbit hole, um, and then we kind of uh, developed our man crush doing the Quail Hill Common Table uh, dinner, of which uh, Jason showed up wearing um, his wife's socks, which were uh, and slippers, and I was like, "Who is this hunk of a man?" And uh, <laughs> don't tell my wife. Uh, I think we all know we all know Jeremy oh yeah <laughs> then the next thing you know we were rubbing duck fat on each other and then we just decided that maybe we should have a conversation and then the next thing I knew I was I was uh you know in the kitchen at Almond uh getting weird with my homie and uh we kind of we kind of both just took what we were doing and kind of formed like Voltron and 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 did this uh did this thing where it started off with like all right kimchi sauerkraut hot sauce I mean, who doesn't like hot sauce All right, three different types of hot sauce, four different types of hot sauce, black bean, psalm sauce, all this crazy stuff. And then we went down the koji rabbit hole and started inoculating, making our own misos and doing making Vietnamese fish sauce, which, by the way, is a very disgusting but lovely process and end product. Um <laughs> but yeah you know it, it started off as, as a, a couple jewish guys in a basement in bridgehampton throwing basically anything we could in a bucket with salt forget about it and what's the best part i mean neither one of us has any patience so to sit there and like let it develop and do its thing was probably the hardest part of the whole situation but yeah we, we kind of started this like cult little following and then you know uh the antique store next to almond opened up and and jason and eric uh jumped on it and opened up LNW market and then all of a sudden there was a forum for it um with me leaving almond there's been a little bit of a lapse in um my active role uh in it but the the premise is still behind it and the love is still there and it's you know it's like kind of you kind of go through a breakup and someone gets the golden retriever well yeah you, jason's got the golden retriever but then again i get to walk him every once in a while so you know it's uh but we've both we both kind of you know bounced ideas off each other for the two and a half years that I was there, and I think we both came out better cooks, human beings, and Jews for that matter, um, for having worked together and 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 kind of started that process at Ammon specifically. I finally had a boss that kind of understood my my obsession um, because it was his obsession, and I think that you know the the stage at which we were able to kind of uh, showcase it became pretty special there for a while. I mean, like we really, I think we, we really kind of opened a lot of doors, and we and we forged ahead um, with a lot of different people, and kind of started uh, a lot of different things that people weren't doing. Um, the CSA, the community supported agriculture, is fairly familiar to anyone with an Instagram account and a mesh farmer's hat that they got here in August. Um, but the reality is, is we started an RSA, a restaurant supported agricultural um, system, um, where basically you're fronting you're fronting money to the farms in the beginning of the season when they don't have it, because nothing's really coming out of the ground for them as far as a cash crop. And they get to use that to buy seed, fix equipment, um, you know, uh, um, Whatever do do all the planning that they need to do, and then the payoff is that once a week we take a drop of a of a you know certain amount of of vegetables from them um, and turn it into something. And so you know we started this RSA program, which is now Carolyn Steck Steck uh, had started again at the Millhouse, and now I believe she's doing it at Sen. Um, you know we did it with Amber Waves the first year, and we did it with uh, Quail Hill the second year, um, and it just you know it allows the farm to kind of dump what they're not going through or what they have access in. And so it, it supports a zero waste mentality. Um, but at the same time, you have to figure out a way to kind of implement it. I think the kimchi juice was a really good catch-all for that. Um, the fermentation uh, bug that we both had really kind of uh, is, makes that a no brainer, right? You can always turn something into something um, and you, you know, doing it on a, you know, "Quote unquote small scale," like almond was was great uh, and wonderful. Um, what was the positive uh, for me coming out of uh, into Gurney's um, two summers ago and running running a, a food and beverage program of that size for for resort uh, who did not maybe not necessarily understand um, the platform of which we were kind of bringing in, but kind of learned to learn to love it um, was that we were operating a resort. Serving thousands of people on a daily basis, off of farms that are located in a 15-mile, 20-mile radius from the front door of the resort. You know, I would say 85% of our walk-ins um, at Gurney's was from the farms, and the rest was tropical fruit and citrus that we need to operate bar programs and things like that. But I mean, soup to nuts: Amber Waves, Balsam Farm, Quail Hill, Stones, Stones Throw. Uh, the uh, the badass ladies over at Mary Lee's at, at Foster Farm, um, you know we we pulled we pulled every string that we could. Greg over at Hoppy Acre, I mean we incorporated everybody, um, myself and my uh, my illustrious sous chef and amazing friend Mr. Andrew Mahoney, who is uh, we want to talk about a local legend. There you go. Um, but yeah, I mean you know the 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 things that we kind of developed within kimchi juice kind of started off as menu items turn into a brand turn into a line then turned into just a mindset and a and a way of cooking and you know by 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 doing the things that we did um we kind of educated the public indirectly that they can do things with with ingredients and items that can be found right out their back door, which is the most important thing. I'm- All right, and for somebody that's never
1: um, fermented, uh, you know, kimchi or anything, you know, uh, pickled anything, uh, is, are, are there like just some basics that you, you can share uh, to, to the audience or to me or to, I think, Bridget, you've done that stuff. I, I haven't done that stuff.
2: Uh, just to get you started. So the basis is um, salt, time, and that's about it. Um, I mean, it, to, to really put it into layman's terms, I mean, essentially you can take a head of cabbage and you can salt it. And as it releases its liquid, um, there's lactobacillus that's kind of floating around in the universe, maybe a little bit more in the basement, of but, um, the, uh, the reality is, is that you'll start a fermentation and you'll start to see bubbles rising from, through the liquid. And you're like, wow, that smells like farts. And it does. <laughs> uh, and if you do it at home, in other words,
0: in other words I can just blame the kimchi
2: <laughs> yes, I've been doing it here my wife has caught on to me um, but the reality is is that you know fermentation is one of the oldest um, most likely uh, accidental ways of preserving anything. Um, you know you can get very technical with it when it comes into charcuterie and, and and misos and inoculating things with koji and all that but the long and the short of it if you have a bucket, a head of cabbage, some salt and a tie th- and, and, and and some thyme you can you can ferment and sometimes it, they're accidental you know when you forget that like tupperware of something in the back of the uh in the back of the refrigerator and it looks like it's about to explode as a pipe bomb you're fermenting maybe you're fermenting um and you know you can you can pick your direction you know bread is a fermentation beer is a fermentation wine is a fermentation Sauerkraut's a fermentation all these things are fermentations and you don't really think about them until you start thinking about fermenting and there's a lot of things on the internet um that you can learn as far as 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 references and there's a lot of uh there's this guy jeremy Umeske, out in, um in cleveland um who owns the larder who's uh part of the hebrew nation and uh he's uh he's kind of the he's kind of like the og uh renegade gorilla uh fermenter and then you have the fancy schmancy guys who talk about grinding it out so hard at noma and their two million dollar lab with their beakers and their centrifuges and whatnot but
0: Jeremy, what you're bringing up also is a lot of the social stuff, because you're saying people can find people on the internet. You have a very, and I know Alec isn't on social media at all, and and bravo Alec, I'm on it all the time, and so are you, and you have this amazing Instagram account with gorgeous photos of dishes you've created, you've created several hashtags like localism, which is, you know, a well-trodden a well a well-trodden, um Hashtag, but food is bond is one of yours. And you have a lot of very funny ones. A lot of people follow your account. What is it that people uh, glom onto, do you think, about, it's not just a a pretty food. It's about the whole shiny, ephemeral being that you've created in Instagram.
2: So the advent of, of social media and specifically Instagram, um, it really, for me, running a kitchen is, is is not about followers and things like that. It's more of a reference, and it, it's a great reference. It's a it's a photographic reference, and it's all dated, right? So when you're when you're doing menu planning and you're sitting down, you know, Jason and I are both are both you know very guilty of this. It, we'll we'll scroll back through each other's you know Instagrams and be like, all right, well, middle of April, Merrily should be having asparagus like any day. Maybe she has some artichokes, but, you know, it's, it's really a great reference guide. It's also a great reference guide when you have your cooks who are all kids and are all, you know, very literate, you know, when it comes to, to social media. You have, you know, a cook who maybe isn't there that day when you're demoing a dish or, or, you know, is taking some time off or, or is a new, new employee. And you can kind of use that and be like, Hey, look, this is the new asparagus salad that we're doing. Um, it's the, you know, the, the asparagus are from Lee Foster. The radishes are from Alex Balsam. The ramps that we're using are, are foraged from our friend Jay up in, in, you know, in, in the Catskills, yada, yada, yada. So right there, they have the verbiage of what you've convey to your staff the day before, maybe when they weren't there. Then they have the visual of, of, of what it is to, um, to plate. I was going to say, well. so
0: you're really using it as like a recipe card. I mean, it's like a great way to show how you've plated it. To the the things that you've, uh, who it's come from, yep. and you can use it as
2: reference. Absolutely. And it, and it, and it works. And it's, you know, it's, it's especially when there's language barriers. I mean, you know, we're a very international um, we're a very international uh, industry um, dealing, you know, pulling from all around the world and, and, you know, a photograph of food translates better than, than, than let's say Google does or, you know, my Bloomberg esque uh, Spanish, can we like pivot a little bit to philosophy right
1: because you talk about making all these dishes and and figuring out your menus do you have a philosophy of, of first of all um do you when you're creating a dish
2: are you creating it for the diner or are you kind of creating it for yourself you look when, when, when you put to i mean personally when i put together a menu there are things that i put on a menu where i'm like nobody is going to eat this mm-hmm. this is if, if there's a restaurant person or if there's a, you know, a cook who's having dinner and they see the fact that, you know, you've got, you know, tripe or, or, you know, you've got uni on everything or all, all these things that maybe are not, you know, the, the, uh, the workhorses of a menu as let's say a roast chicken would be, even though the roast chicken is probably the hardest dish to get right on the menu. Maybe something that, 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 it, that is so obscure that only appeals and then, and then people surprise you. And then you're like, I can't believe that this is selling like crazy. Um, but the real drive. Of- don't, you think, don't
1: you think that that's a little bit though, that people, uh, you know, we'll, will clear the pandemic, but you know, people, you go out for an experience. You go out to, to, to taste literally
2: culture and, and to, to have something you can have at home. You have something you do. And I think that, 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 that rings true. Although I would say if you talk to any restaurant tour, they will tell you that roast chicken is their highest seller. It just is. I, I, I don't get it either.
0: I can tell you, having grown up in the restaurant business, that my father would order a roast chicken wherever we went because that was the, the um, what do you call it?
2: That's the, that's the benchmark of whether or not the person that
0: can, can cook. Of how good a restaurant is. And, and I still do that. I still always order a roast chicken. If, if I know I'm going to go and, to a restaurant.
2: And why, why is a roast chicken so hard to consistently get right? Because it's the most simple ingredient that stands alone by itself that everybody thinks that they know how to cook at home. And the reality is, is that if, you know, if, if you let the breast meat dry out or the, or the, or the dark meat is, 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 is tough or, or whatever. I mean, look, perfect example. When when I, when I got hired at Almond, Almond has the OG chicken dish of all time, right? I mean, it's, you know, you have, you have this beautifully confit leg. uh, The, the breast is roasted on the cage with it, with an herb butter underneath it. And it's served with, you know, these crushed potatoes from Marilee Foster, which are, which are legitimately harvested a half a mile away from where you're actually cooking them. Um, and then some sort of uh, variation on some sort of sauteed greens from some other farmer that we were friends with. And, and, and then a, a, just a, a, a perfect chicken shoot, right? That dish, all of those components are about as simple as it gets, right? So, but that dish has to stand up on its own. It can't, it can't, we can't waver. It can't fall. Now the circus that we develop the menu around that of like this like crazy street food Indonesian Korean you know <laughs> German French idiocy that Jason and I were just like lunatics putting things together makes the chicken make more sense to the person who doesn't make the other things don't and so while the chicken is the safe out for someone who maybe doesn't want to put a black olive lacquered, duck breast that's been you know smoked over corn cobs or whatever cockamamie idea that we came up with that day for for you know for a special that chicken when they order it they don't want to just feel like oh man i ordered the chicken and it was whack they want to order the chicken and be like holy shit, i'm so happy i ordered the right chicken. and
0: also and it, it has to be consistent when they come back it's got to be the same day the same kind of right even if the, even if you uh, switch up what it's plated with the chicken always has to be spectacular. That's it, why it's so hard to do,
2: right? And it's, it's it's exactly why it's so hard to do. And so, you know, I think uh, two marches ago in the spring, um, Jason and I did a spring chicken dinner, right? And and we were kind of it was funny because we were we were there was all this hoopla going on about you know eleven Madison Park coming back out to East Hampton and 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 you know who really cares. Um, when your restaurant is funded by mastercard and yada 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 but you know here i am picking up chickens from iacona farm on long lane talking to amanda iacona who's a friend who convinced her dad to sell to restaurants for the first time in i don't know probably since colin had the colin had the laundry because you know restaurant people are restaurant people and here we are picking up this awesome you know product and bringing it back to the restaurant and and i'm developing this tasting menu seven courses and it's chicken i mean it's like trying to make something spectacular out of vanilla right and so and and then you know so you go old school you know you go ballantine, you go galantine you go you go banging chicken soup broth for matzo ball soup i mean why the hell not i mean there's nothing better right you know the old jewish penicillin so you know you take something as simple as a chicken but it's not as simple as a chicken the chicken was raised in east hampton by someone who's you know multi-generational chicken farmer who's picked up by someone who lives in, in 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 East Hampton and is from East Hampton and drives it, you know, 10 miles down the road to Bridgehampton, and does this awesome dinner with all this like old school technique. And it's classic for a reason, but then you kind of, you know, you kind of put your spin on it, you put your own funk on it. And that's that's like, it's really what
0: your philosophy, your philosophy is localism, taking things that are simple and maybe making them complex, but keeping the simple vein of it running through and taking things that are taken for granted and making them spectacular.
2: I think that you know my my friend Andrew and I, especially when we when we launched Showfish, is that we didn't want it to be too wordy, and we didn't want it to be, um, we didn't want to over explain things, and we didn't want to use words that made people feel like they had to like look them up on the internet to order them, or that they were going to mispronounce them to the waiter when they said it. So it's like you know you kind of you kind of you want to over deliver and kind of under explain. And so, let the ingredients talk for themselves, and the ingredients that are available out here speak volumes. And it, and, and and it, it also, just, it also the, seems, and I think that that uh, this is
1: a uh, turn-on, is that, chefing is is really the exploration, of your environment. And you know, we're we're a show Sundays on the East End. We celebrate the East End. Uh, it's 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 really what happens in the kitchen. Is is the you know the preparation and delivery and the platform, but that the philosophy of chefing it sounds like for you is really about living in in and around the East End and uh, living holistically, um, and and just kind of celebrating the bounty that the East End uh, offers.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that you know, Colin is an incredible example of it, and, and he's also an incredible, uh, you know, he's an incredible mentor when it comes to it. I mean, my man's garden in the back and and his attention to you know sourcing from from the farms is is legendary. Jason Weiner, obviously, um, Joe Romuto, and Mark Smith. I mean, they've been doing it. They've been they, they've been that garden behind Nick and Tony's. It's been you know, it's incredible what they do. You know, they're, they're featuring Merrilee uh, Foster's potatoes um, at Town Line Barbecue and their French Fry program now. Like, you know, the, the, the people that pay attention to it and, and do it are incredible. You know, and look, they're not, they're not going to be there at 7, 8, 7 o'clock in the morning. Everything's not going to be washed and it's not going to be perfect. You know, so you, you're you you're you're as a chef or someone who's operating a restaurant, you're taking that load on your shoulders. It's much easier to call a bear of, you know, a, a big box purveyor and have everything show up, you know, neatly packed. And and, and it's, you know, but the soul's not there. And I think that the, the same excitement that people get about a fish that was caught that day, they should be just as excited as a carrot that was pulled out of the ground on their plate as the fish. Well, we're
0: lucky because we really have had, I mean, I'm just looking back even at our show, not meaning to shift focus, but what Alec just said, I mean, we're lucky we've had Eric Lemonidas on, we've had you on, we've had Sibylla Van Kempen on, we've had Colin Ambrose on, you know, and really we do like to, to focus on that because you guys are really, you know, fighting the fight every day to kind of keep those farms. I mean, this restaurant supported agriculture is brilliant. And and that kind of brings us to the current situation with the pandemic and everything, and how restaurants and chefs and farms are navigating through this. And what what you know what's been your experience?
2: You know, I think that um, I made the switch to to back into private uh, working as a private chef um, back in February, kind of right when this pandemic kind of was in its infantile stage, and, and we didn't really know. How ridiculous or sideways is it? It was going to go.
1: Uh, and and was that a decision you had made pre-pandemic, or was that a result of the
2: pandemic? At that point, the pandemic wasn't the pandemic, right? It was like, all right, some people in China are getting sick, and we don't really know what's going on here. Don't wear masks; you're not going to get sick. Or don't do wear a mask. There was no, there was no, nothing was really shut down. Nothing was really kind of going. The, uh, you know, the big thing for me was um, my wife John, whose birthday it is today. Uh, birthday. Uh, it was, you know, was pregnant. And I know that working 80, 90, hundred hours a week, um, I was looking for something that uh, would allow me to be a uh, more present as a husband, as a as a as a man, as a friend, and and as a and as a father to, uh, to you know at that point our unborn daughter. Um, so the switch to private for me was was more of a you know a, you know a shift um, for quality of life. Um, it just so happened that. It was it was a lucky shift for me. I mean, I I, again these guys who are who are who are in the trenches every single day doing this. um, The restaurant industry is taking a beating harder and 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 than anyone else's. And anyone who's anyone who 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 thinks that, um, try it because what these guys are doing is crazy. Um, You know, you have. They're allowed to open. They're not allowed to open. They're allowed to do this. They're not allowed to do that. You know, people are scared. They're not scared, you know, but I, at the end of the day, you know, while we're losing some of the, the institutions, um, you know, it's like 21, clo- uh, 21, you know, club closing uh, lucky strike. And it's older than I am, you know, you know, just like little joints like that neighborhood joints that have really taken their beatings. The reality is, is if there's any, any industry that can take this, it's the restaurant industry. They're the most resilient, smart, cagey unbelievably talented people on the face of this planet they figure things out on a daily basis they really do and 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 they and and they they adapt better than anyone else does
1: and, and, when, you, and when you're doing private chefing, i mean obviously the amount of food you're
2: cooking is is greatly reduced oh it's crazy i had to like i had to learn to dial yeah. back yeah <laughs> Yeah, I was I was I was going from from doing you know uh, twenty five hundred, three thousand covers a day to to three um, you know I'm, I'm very lucky in the sense that uh, I found a wonderful client who who is just about as crazy about food as I am um, and you know especially during this time period where where maybe our food source didn't really kind of have a hiccup but the distribution centers that did that kind of led to a little hysteria with the grocery stores not having food on the shelves. I think people figured out, and I think that we helped them through social media and kind of, you know, promoting the local farms that like, Hey, look, yeah, the stop and shop might not have this, but like these guys do and so you're looking yes, farm does right you're looking you're looking you know at at farms like you know quail hill who had the first time that they've ever sold out all of their csa's in one year i mean that's incredible you have Lee foster who's like doing a csa in the summer in the winter i mean that's awesome balsam who like basically turned into what everybody needed you know in a one-stop shopping like yes they were they were they were selling the goods and the and the produce and the amazing things that they do, but they also switch gears and they're selling steaks and eggs and cheese and, and milk and, and and becoming a purveyor and delivering to your front door. Are you kidding me? That's what I was going to say. The East End yeah. Food Institute
0: or whatever that you know, the Amiganson Food Institute, now the East End Foods Institute was delivering it delivered to me to here here in bridges yeah. I got a, a delivery. It's amazing.
2: It's incredible. So you know when I when I talk about restaurant people being that resilient, I talk about you know I'm including the purveyors and the people that we use, and I think that on a on a small on a small scale, um, you saw you know New York emptied out out here in March. I mean it was busier out here in March than it probably was in August as far as people being in houses and whatnot, and and the people that that, that really stood up and were able to support the support it was our farms. And our, you know, our local fishermen, I mean, Christ, you had Chucky Marisi handing out free fish in the middle of Montauk just because he had no market to sell it to. He was like, you know, people got to eat, you know, you know, you have the, you have the farms kind of, you know, doing what they did. I mean, it's just, it's incredible. I think we all, um, if there's one thing that kind of came out of the restrictions, uh, I think of all the, that the pandemic has given us, I think that people saw the freedom of which their food source can be found out here specifically. That's,
0: that gives me hope. You know, that's,
2: amazing. that, you know, look, people, people love to get tomatoes. They don't understand why tomatoes aren't on the farm stand in, in, in on Memorial day. You're like, I don't, I don't get it. And you're like, well, cause it's not tomato season. The plants are three inches tall and shut up. Um, <laughs> But the, but the reality is, is now people understand. They're like, they they're, they, they started going to the farm stand so often that they were like, oh, like Nightshades just got here. Like, awesome. Like, I can get eggplant now. I can get beans now. I can get tomatoes now. I can get potatoes now. And 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 they, they really educated themselves out of necessity as to, you know, what farms had to offer and when they had to offer it. And I think that the return to cooking for a lot of people because they weren't able to go out was, was huge. I mean, I don't think there's one person in the United States that didn't at least attempt sourdough bread at some point, which was annoying to the rest of us who were looking for flour and yeast, you bastards.
1: <laughs> you, know. Now, you know, it's funny about that. There, there's, uh, my daughter uh, was out here at the beginning of the pandemic for several months and, and she wanted to, to, to cook some bread. And, and uh, I went into uh, the provisions that had opened up in, in Watermill. And I was, I was like, Do you have any yeast? They're like, No, we're out of yeast. And and I'm like, All right, whatever. And 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 I'm walking around, and then a guy comes up to me that worked there, and he goes, I got some yeast in the back. If you want, like, one packet, I'm like, Man, you're like, This is like, Let's go. <laughs> you know, no, like- you got the yahoo
2: I got the money. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many like yeast drug deals were going on in the back of, of, of restaurants during the pandemic. Right. Like, yo, man, let me grab.
0: Speaking of, now, speaking of that, I know that, you know, restaurants have always been sort of a, a mosh pit of bad behavior, and I want to bring it back to, well, you know, we we grew up in, in the, I grew up in the restaurant business, you guys grew up on the line, I yep. never worked the line, but I did grow up in the restaurant business, and, you know, you've managed to somewhat navigate that really well, and I wanted you to just touch on that, it, it, alcohols and drugs are, are, are synonymous with
2: rat- Al- alcohol and drugs are synonymous with salt and pepper in a restaurant right they're just there you know you have you have a culture of a of, of restaurant people who who work who get out of work when everybody's sleeping who go to bars when anything after 1am we all know doesn't equal anything positive right uh, and, and the proverbial cocktail fairy pooped in my mouth multiple times I indulge just like everybody else did and then at some point you kind of you start seeing the big guys fall and you start seeing yourself stumble and you start seeing, you know, that it's not really an alcohol and drug thing, that it's more of a mental health thing, but you use the alcohol and drugs to, to, to deal with it. Right. The stress levels, um, of what you incur in a restaurant are real. Uh, stress is stress is a scary thing. It's just as dangerous as anything else. Um, and when you get off of an 18 hour shift where you've, Legitimately, been getting your teeth kicked in the entire time. Um, and you, and you, you know, your shift drink is a uh, vodka on the rocks in a, in a, in a core container. Um, and that's, you know, you knock down two of those before you go out because, you know, you're working in a kitchen where you're not making any money. So you might as well get one on the house before you leave. And then you go out and then it's, and then it's soup sandwich time. You know, you're a mess. And, you know, um, we all do it. And I think that the, 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 the cliche of like, you're a chef, you, you know, oh, he can handle those hours. Oh, he can, you know, oh, Superman, she can do this. She, you know, she, he can do that, all that. Yeah, we can do it, but we don't have to do it. And, you know, I'm six years sober uh, as of a couple of days ago, as of New Year's Day. In those six years, I have uh, done a lot of amazing things for my career, but more importantly, I, I met my wife. I got married. Um, I, I, we bought our house. We own a slice of of the place that we so, you know, that we, that we love, you know. Um, and our daughter is now here. I mean, that, you know, if, if that's any kind of, of, like, road to whatever personal success you want to, you know, kind of paint, that's it. At the end of the day, I'm doing what I love in the place that I love, living on a little slice of my own of, uh, of it with the two people that I love the most in the entire world. I mean, it, like, it doesn't... There's never a drawback. Every day is hard. We all know that, you know, but with drugs and alcohol, it, it becomes harder, but you don't see it while you're in it. And so once you see it when you're out of it, you know, and, and I'm not a meetings guy, look, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be, I'll be as transparent as, as, as I can about this. I'm not a meetings guy. I just knew that I needed to make a change and that um, the change needed to be that I needed to be happier in my head and a good way to get that clarity was to shake the fog out and so that was to to stop drinking um and you know i told myself you know i'm gonna stop drinking for a week and then it was two weeks then it was a month then it was six months then it was a whole summer season of of working in montauk and and if you can do that sober i mean you can do just about anything sober and 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 the reality is is that you get yourself a network of friends um and you realize that the guy sitting on the bar stool next to you wasn't your friend he was just the same schmuck as you are doing the same thing And that you guys became friendly because you sat there with a common bond of 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 having a few pops after work and you know you uh the food community has changed um there is a uh a light at the end of the tunnel for a lot of people you're seeing a lot of uh, of the big shots kind of come, kind of come out, you know, a guy like Sean Brock, mm-hmm. you know, who is who's willing to share his story. I'm amazing. You have, you have guys who I've had cooks of mine who've just come to me and said, Hey chef, you know, I know you don't drink. Do you go to meetings? I'm like, no, man, I don't go to meetings. Like, well, how do you do it? So here's my phone number. You call me, you know, and, and what's your number? I'll call you. And you know, there's a there's a group of us, and I don't think it's a secret society. I think it's just uh, it's just something that 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 we do and we talk about. it. And I that, think that talking about it makes. I'd
0: say that's the OG way of doing it. Yeah, you know, back back at the beginning of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, it was really just a couple of guys talking. You know, but anyway, um, we we don't have a lot of time left. We want to talk about your obsession with Wu-Tang Clan
1: and how that came to be. I want to talk about. I want to talk about also. I just found out in the last couple of weeks that a lot of the pirates in the Caribbean and in, in Jamaica were Jewish, actually, and it's something that I did not know is part of the narrative of Jewish history.
0: I, I want to talk about this, but let let me do a station ID thing and then. Let's hey, I've go.
1: waited four thousand years to say this, I can wait another <laughs> minute.
0: You're listening to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy
1: and Alex Sokolow.
0: And our guest, Chef Jeremy Blitstein, we're coming to you on WLIW-FM. We're going to be right back after this.
2: I'm Meg Noonan, inviting you to join me on 88.3 WLIW FM for Freeform Radio at its new time every Sunday night from nine to eleven. You'll hear a lively mix of rock and all its glorious subgenres, plus a heavy dose of soul, R and B, and more. So tune into Freeform Radio, where variety reigns supreme. Sundays at nine p.m. on 88.3 WLIW FM and WLIW.org/radio. Long Island's only NPR station.
0: Welcome back to Sundays on the East
1: End. Uh, what were you just talking about, Alec? I was just saying, I just, I read, I read, a, I read a book, I found, uh, and started look, looking around, and it turns out, because of the diaspora, because of the uh, Inquisition and the persecution that was going on in Spain, a lot of the Jews that were in Spain, that were Sephardic, that had come up from Africa, uh, were very good on, on the sea and uh, they needed to find a place to be, and they ended up in the new world, uh, you know, ended up funding Columbus, uh, but also in the new world, and uh, it, it became pirates.
2: To, uh, to, to, the, to, the, to the Hebrews, uh, yet, yet again, um, manifesting themselves into uh, into something else, right? right. Uh, and, and now, if you don't know, now you know. So now we're going I- to
1: Wu-Tang. So what, tell me about Wu-Tang. What, what is it about Wu-Tang that hits you?
2: Look, I'm a 40-year-old guy who grew up, you know, listening to hip-hop in the 90s and, and early 2000. And I think that if you talk to anybody who is a kitchen rat, such as myself, you know, you look at a hip-hop group like Wu-Tang with all of their different members who all kind of collaborate together to form this the, the, this group that, you know, has all different styles and whatnot, but, you know, is underneath the Wu-Tang Clan is is the meeting of generals, right? I mean, that's, that's what the obsession for the guys who formed it was because they were all into like old school Kung Fu movies. And Wu-Tang was the uh, the meeting of all the war generals and, and that's how they saw themselves. And I think as a kitchen, you see yourself as that, right? You see this like, you know, one guy is like this, like lunatic who goes out all night and, 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 and shows up and, you know, does all of your pastry work and by the time you're leaving he looks like he's half dead and you're walking in but like he set you up and then you've got you know your guys on the line who are all different ethnicities and all different backgrounds and they're kind of like putting everything together and and you know it's one cohesive unit except everybody has their their personal identities and so i think that music in a kitchen is kind of there's never not a radio or now I guess an iPhone or the OG speaker is obviously the boom box up on a shelf that would fall off when the bass hit too hard. Or now I guess it's the iPhone stuffed in a nine pan, which is like your ghetto fabulous speaker. But the reality is, is I think that music is important. Right. Okay. So now, so now you're doing your
1: perfect dinner and, and it's time to kind of like bring, bring a dinner party together.
2: Who would you bring together? Are there members of Wu-Tang you'd want at that table? (laughs) Who would I serve? I would serve Bridget Leroy, uh, Laura Donnelly. I mean, you know, like, you know, all of the the press who's been showing me love out here forever, ever. Um, The love behind food is bond is that food is a common bond between all of us, right? A baby is born, you bring food to the house someone has died you bring food to the house you're there to celebrate food is the centerpiece you're there to 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 do anything to to talk about peace food is is the centerpiece. you talk about war food is the centerpiece and so food is the common bond that, that that brings us all together it's the one common denominator that nobody can really have an opinion about right at the end of the day we all have to eat and so the opinion is that we all have to eat and that you learn more about a person's culture by eating their food than you ever would by by reading a book or, or talking to them. So the RZA or Old Dirty? I mean, come on. You know, Look, the RZA put it all together. And OGB is a legend, but you know, RIP with big L.
0: You know what? We're kind of out of time. But um, Jeremy, if people want to follow you on Instagram, what's your uh, what's your handle?
2: Oh, it's uh, at Chef Bloodstein. yeah. <laughs>
0: It has been so wonderful. I, I adore you as a friend, and I've been just so so honored that you came on with us and, and shared your philosophy, which is so based in localism and zero waste. So we look to people like you to inspire
1: us. All right, yeah. And and what I would say is thank you so much for the conversation, uh, illuminating to say the least. If, if there's one huge takeaway, me on sign takeaway from this conversation, it's support your local farmers, support your local uh, restaurants. And, and even through this period of time, if whether you're comfortable going out or not going out, know that, th- that this is life. This is life in our very unique uh, place in this world. Um, and that uh, the, the beautiful thing is, is that three times a day, the entire world that can stops to enjoy a, m- a meal. So enjoy the food that you eat. Uh, and everybody be well and stay well. Wu-Tang again. Uh, again. Again and again.